Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, one person's doing good. Hope you all are doing well. Hey, if you're... I'm being told that I'm, how's that? Is that a little better? All right. Yeah. It's never as smooth as you'd like it, is it? So fill out a welcome card. If you uh, didn't hear that, you can go to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome on your smartphone at any point during the service. Or you can also fill out a hard copy version of the welcome card at the high top table Uh, by the doors when you leave today. Welcome to the Mill Church. Again, if you're new, my name is Pastor Zach, and we're doing something relatively unique here for 2022. We're calling this the year of 52 stories, and we're having a different attender of the Mill share a story or a tale of God's faithfulness every Sunday in 2022. I'm delighted to tell you that we're into March and we haven't missed a Sunday yet. I had about four scheduled in a row. Can you believe that? Out. And now I have nothing for next Sunday at all. So if you uh, feel led to share your story, I just saw (laughs) Melissa elbow Kendall. Then Kendall, I'd like to talk to you today before you leave and anyone else who uh, may be inclined uh, to share. Mike, will you join me? Mike is uh, relatively new at the mill. About two years ago, he and his wife Gina started attending, and we got to baptize Gina last Sunday. That was a joyous occasion and water in our first service. And Mike, her husband, who is a deacon here at the church, is going to share his story with us today. Will you give Mike a warm welcome? While I'm standing up here with a microphone, I just got to say thank you, worship team. I am terrified to be up here with a microphone because I lean towards the introverted side of the spectrum. So those first two songs talking about fear and then reminding me that everything here has been ransomed by the blood of Christ. So just thank you guys. The, The Holy Spirit is working through you. I grew up in a very loving, good Christian home. We attended church and Sunday school every week volunteered at church, and even went Christmas caroling. I didn't feel that I lacked anything in my childhood, but for some reason, I rebelled. At age 16, after losing a child due to miscarriage with the girl I was dating at that time, I fell into depression and became very angry at God. And at age 17, I had a choice to make, follow the rules of my Christian parents' home or move out and see what the world had to offer. I chose the latter. At age 18, I was in an ATV accident in which I suffered a compression fracture to my back. I don't remember much about that day or the roughly 10 days that followed. However, I'm told by my parents that the doctors gave me a 5% chance of walking again. Even though the Lord miraculously granted me a full recovery, it wasn't enough to bring me back to him. The years that followed were filled with emptiness, and no amount of work, alcohol, or sex would fill that void. 
In February of 2018, my dad invited me to the No Regrets Men's Conference, which I had attended several times before. The difference this time is that I was at rock bottom. I had an addiction to pornography that was tearing my marriage apart. I was worn down from the struggle and from trying to medicate by working long hours and honestly felt like life wasn't worth living anymore. But on that day, the Lord called me back to him, and I gave my life to Christ in the parking lot at Faith Fellowship in Marshfield. However, my journey since that day hasn't been all sunshine and roses. I heard speakers at the conference and read books preaching freedom in Christ. However, I was still a porn addict and a workaholic. I started to become mad at God again for not just taking away my problems and healing me, but I can stand here today saying I'm glad he didn't, because through that time of healing and pulling the weeds, God taught me about his faithfulness. Even when I would start falling back into my old ways, he was right there every time to pick me up out of the ditch and set me back on the road. Today I have that freedom that only Christ can give. This isn't to say that there aren't hard days, but the difference is I have God fighting for me. I'd like to share one of my favorite passages with you. It's Psalm 86 verses 11 through 13. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. This is the year of 52 stories, and Jesus is the hero of mine. Thank you, Mike. That was powerful. I uh, have a, uh, I've, I've often said, fairly boring testimony, raised in the church, Bible college, ministry. Um, there's something about stories of prodigals that just blesses my heart. Um, of those, of course, we're, we're all sinful to the core but those who really wandered far from God and then God brought back. I appreciate you having courage, Mike, this morning and sharing your story. It blessed me. I'll tell you that I'm glad uh, you're in church today. And I want to tell you, if you can be here next Sunday, you're going to want uh, to carve out the time, the day, at least online, okay? So turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss next Sunday. All right. Most of you are aware that my wife and I, after 13 years of being the pastor at the Mill Church, have decided to move to North Carolina to be closer to my family. I told you guys that the Lord was going to take care of us. And bless the Mill Church that his hand was upon us and not to be concerned or alarmed or worried that just as he had been faithful to us over the last 13 years, that he would continue to be. And I'm excited to uh, tell you that next Sunday we're going to have an announcement related to our pastoral transition. It's all wonderful uh, good news. So again, make it a point to be here next Sunday online if you can't make it in person. And the weatherman says we're pushing 50 this week. So that's a good thing. 
your lily white skin will soon have some color. Isn't that encouraging? I just, I just love that. So last week, uh, we concluded our service with a powerful time of prayer. And we're going to end today's service in a similar way. Uh, but we're going to pray specifically and again for the suffering of the Ukrainian people. So I want to begin this morning by just putting a little addendum on our time of prayer last week, if I may, before we tackle a couple more verses as we walk through verse by verse Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. We're talking about suffering, and this, this idea, this notion of suffering is quite complicated. Sometimes I think you would agree suffering is absolutely self-induced, that we get ourselves into messes of all kinds. Uh, Mike's story alluded to that, some of his choices this morning. Sometimes we're the party at fault, and other times it's not our fault at all, the suffering that we endure. And our author, the Apostle Paul, he's suffering for Jesus. He's experiencing multiple kinds of of suffering. There's a number of layers to it, spiritual and psychological and emotional and physical. He's experiencing um, particularly, uh, I would note, um, the ability to, to share his suffering with others in letters that he uh, sends in a very honest and very compelling way. And not only does he share with his friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ, what he's going through, which is effectively what we did in our prayer time last Sunday, but he doesn't let his suffering define who he is. And I want to talk to you about that today. So often I have noticed something about people's suffering. It doesn't end up being the suffering itself that characterizes the individual for the rest of their lifetime or until some other cataclysmic uh, event. Um, it isn't the, uh, the suffering itself that attaches a, a stigma to an individual. Oftentimes, it's their response to the suffering that defines who they are. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but two people can suffer and they can go through near identical experiences and have completely different responses to the suffering. We see this in, in marriages and husband and a wife. We see this. In, how many of you have met a, a, a husband and wife combo and said, boy, opposites really do attract. They could not be any more different. You know, it's, it somehow still hits us with a sense of surprise. And uh, we see this uh, in uh, siblings and, and in close friends and even in a couple, couple kids. So one person may say, you know, that ruined my life. I'll never be the same again. Uh, that's when I stopped going to church. That's when I stopped picking up a Bible. I haven't prayed since. And someone else who was with them and suffered what they suffered would say quite the opposite. Um, I, I know it's not what I wanted, but, you know, I, I praise God for it because 
it's taught me more about God and about myself than any other experience in life. It was hard. I know this may be weird, but what I'm, what I'm telling you is I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but, but I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have the attitude of gratitude that I have in my life right now had I not undergone that trial or circumstance. I would not have the depth of character that I have today had I not endured suffering. And the juxtaposition of those responses we see all the time, true or false. We, we just see it in people. So it's not the circumstance that defines us as much as it is um, that the circumstances provide us an opportunity to make a choice on how we'll respond. This is exactly what Paul, the apostle, is going to model for us throughout this book. He doesn't write us a letter and say, you know, I love the Lord, but honestly, my life is pitiable. Please just jot down all the sufferings, all the trials that I've experienced. Make a mental note of them. Um, I just keep suffering. I mean, I have no wife. I have no kids. I'm homeless. I've been snake bitten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten to a pulp. I go from being chased by mob to, to being chased by mob to being chased by mob to being chased by mob. I'm not sure whether it's best to be inside the city where I'm persecuted or outside the city where I'm persecuted. Listen to my terrible tale. He doesn't do that. Paul is very forthcoming about his suffering, but at some point he made a decision to use it and grow from it. And I can't help but to think that somebody here in church this morning might make a decision or need to make a decision to quit wallowing in a circumstance of your past and decide, based on the model, the example of Paul, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to grow from this. I'm going to use this to be a more grateful and productive human being. I'm going to use this to be a more missional human being for the name of Christ. Because when you're suffering... I'll tell you a common question that we ask ourselves, and I'm not sure that it's all that helpful. And the question is, why? Has anybody ever asked the why question when you're suffering? We do. We do. It's just our nature. We want to know why we're going through the things that we're going through. And what we do effectively is we with that question, put God on trial. And we tell the God of the Bible to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to cross-examine you now, Jesus. Why did I go through this? Why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you prevent this? And just so we're all clear this morning, 
Jesus isn't the one who goes on trial at the end of this life. Amen? Jesus is the one, just to be clear, who holds the trial. We're the ones who have to answer and be accountable for our words, our thoughts, our deeds. So I'm not trying to be unkind to you this morning and say that if you're suffering and asking the why questions that you are uh, an embarrassment to Christianity, not at all. What I'm saying is I want to empathize and care for you today in your suffering. Obviously, there were a lot of people here last weekend who were suffering. In the second service, we had more people, it would appear, stand up for prayer than we did have people left to encircle them and pray for them. So there's a lot going on. So I'm, I'm not uh, talking with condescension toward anybody this morning. What I'm saying in care for you is, is that part of the caring is me encouraging you that putting God on a trial is not good for you. It's just not a good choice. Because we already have a God who has suffered. We already have a God who has endured pain. That's where Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without what? Was without sin. So a more productive approach, in my opinion, than the why question, which I will tell you is rarely answered on this side of glory. If you just resign yourself to the fact that you're not going to know the answers to the why questions, life goes so much better. It's so much smoother. It's so much easier. God never promises us, you know, clarity, at least as far as I can remember. We have certainty that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's dependable, that he's creating a home for us, that there's not going to be any pain there, any suffering there, but he never promises us that we're going to have everything figured out on this side of heaven. We're told to trust him. We're told that we see through or in a, through a glass dimly, Right? We don't have all the answers on this side of glory. So here's the questions that I want to encourage you to ask in lieu of the why one. And I'm almost to our text this morning, I promise. Um, But the questions are these, the how questions. Lord, you went through hard times. How did you do that without sinning? Jesus, you endured pain. How did you not let your suffering drive you mad? How did you turn it around and suffer well? How might I become more like you through my suffering? How would you show me to have a character that more purely reflects your character, Jesus? Do you think Jesus would hear that prayer? And show you how? I think he'd help us. 
if we asked how to do that? Um, what about the who question? Lord, who would you show me that's going through something similar that I'm going through that I can encourage? That I can bring joy to, hope to today? Lord, who can I help? Who can I love, Lord? Who can I serve? Do you think Jesus would answer that question? You better believe the Holy Spirit will show up and answer that one. See, everybody knows that when we're suffering, we're feeling a lot of things. And what, what I'm saying is we also need to be thinking in our suffering and seeking to suffer in a way that honors the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do. How is Paul teaching us to suffer well? Um, I will say that um, my heart is for you to hear that your hardship, your pain, your strife, your toil, your tears, your fears, they've this is, the, this is the summary of what I'm getting at. They have already cost you a lot. They have already cost you a lot. Don't waste for a second longer that investment that you made of time, of energy, of years, of suffering. In other words, heal from it. And move forward out of your suffering in a way that honors the Lord. I'm not even saying time heals suffering. Anybody notice that that's not always true? Sometimes if we let ourselves, we can become more bitter and less forgiving and more venomous and poisonous. Anybody ever met somebody later in life and said, wow, that individual was kind until the last two years. And all hell broke loose. They became a different person inside. See, time doesn't always heal, but you know who does? Jesus heals. And if you ask him, he will use what you've gone through to motivate you to serve and to love. If the word of God cannot speak to our suffering, then we are left without a word of God when we need it most. How many of you believe the word of God speaks to our suffering? Absolutely. If Paul did it, we can do it. Okay? All right, let me, let's read a couple more verses in this great book. And uh, I'm going to begin in verses 25 through 27 of chapter 1. This is what Paul wrote, and we're just going to read it, and then I'll uh, tell you what I think <laughs> Paul's saying. Which is all preaching is, is a guy on the stage telling you what he thinks or she thinks that somebody is saying. So here's what Paul says. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches 
of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'll read verse 27 again. To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul, think of a murder mystery where you don't know who it is that's behind the deed. What he's saying is uh, there is something that was previously unknown, but now God has made it known. It's like a little peek behind the curtain, and then the curtain gets ripped back, and now it's seen. And the mystery was this. The mystery Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob continued in the lineage. That's why we say God, uh, the, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the mystery was that God began working through him. Um, he was a Gentile. He became a Jew. And that through nation, or rather through his offspring, a nation would come of Jewish people, racially Jewish people, spiritually Jewish people, and that through them, through their bloodline, would come a Savior whose name was Jesus Christ. And most of the people who worship the God of the Old Testament were Jewish with a few minor exceptions like Rahab and Ruth, the Moabite. And when God's people left, if you'll remember in the Exodus, the nation of Egypt, some Egyptians came with them to worship their God. They were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. But if you converted to worship the God of the Bible, you would have to become, get your flint knife out, right? You'd have to become Jewish, okay? This is, I, I, I don't want to get into this, but the Bible is very gross in this regard. There were piles of, do I need to say the word? Okay. Okay. Lots of people became Jewish from being Gentile. Okay? And circumcision was a part of that custom, that ritual that God laid out for his people. And so then we see in the New Testament, Jesus coming along and, and him saying, it's not about Jew and Gentile any longer. This is a third race that I'm creating, a group of people who are Christian. In other words, they belong to me. And this third race, this new race, is comprised of both Jews, racial Jews, and Gentiles. Non-racially non Jewish, okay? And they become one race, effectively, in Christ followership. So Jesus, um, Paul is making the point that this is the mystery. And what happens is when Paul talks about this, about everybody being one, he's hated by, in the New Testament, both sides, He's hated by the Jews who think the Gentiles are, are not kosher and are filthy animals because of their customs. And he's hated by the Gentiles 
who don't want to follow a Jewish Savior. Right? So Paul talks about this mystery. The Jews think that the Gentiles are dirty. And the Gentiles think that the Jews are outdated, old-fashioned, and need to jump into contemporary society. And so sometimes, have you noticed that like the Apostle Paul did, you can say the right thing and be persecuted? You can certainly say the wrong thing. You can make mistakes and be, and be outcast or persecuted. But how many of you have experienced saying the right thing at times? And being persecuted. This is what's happening with the the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we suffer because we say the wrong things. Other times we suffer because we say the right things. And what Paul's doing here is he's suffering. He's talking about worship. Because every child of God has an opportunity to be a worshiper in the middle of his or her suffering. The first week, I believe, we, we talked, or last week when we looked at this topic of suffering... We talked about those crazy people who say praise the Lord all the time. And it drives you nuts, but they're actually closer to the heart of what Paul's saying than we realize. As annoying as it is sometimes, you know, I, I, I was in a car accident today, but thank God. Do you remember this example? It was a Prius that hit me and not an F-350. Praise the Lord. See? So... That gets on our nerves, um, but, but Jesus and, and Paul are alike in saying that we can worship in the middle of our suffering. And when we worship in the middle of our suffering, I'll just kind of close with this because we're going to get into um, some other areas later in our service. But there's a couple benefits. If you can find the, can I say the word? gumption is that too old-fashioned for you okay <laughs> not me <laughs> if you can find the fortitude and the courage to worship in the middle of your oppression your suffering physical psychological emotional spiritual you name it financial marital if you can figure out a way to worship Here's two benefits that we see in the life of Paul. First, it resets our identity. As a matter of fact, ask the makers of the curriculum that are meant to minister and serve addicts. I like a lot of it, but one thing that I don't care for is that line, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I am an... But it's defining our activity, not our identity. So God's people are saints. I just think if we said who we are in Jesus, we'd be a lot more likely to get out of the spots we're in quicker. I'm a forgiven child of the king. His mercies are new every morning. Though I was as scarlet, now I'm white as snow. This is what the king says about me. This is my identity. So as worshipers, our identity is not in our suffering, it's in our Savior. And another thing that Paul is doing for us here that's helpful, because when we suffer, we become short-sighted. We become short-sighted. Anybody here like me, 
when you, and raise your hand, if you will, this morning, if this is like you. When you become sick, you feel that your whole entire world is coming to an end. Does anybody feel like that when you get sick? Why are there only dudes raising their hands in this room? Gentlemen, my wife's a maternity nurse. She's a birth center nurse. I get no mercy when I'm sick. Why? Because she watches ladies give birth all day long. That's what she does when she goes to work. So, um, but I feel like, I feel like everything's fallen down on me. I haven't experienced childbirth, Shannon says. If you did, if you had, you wouldn't be so despicable when you get a bug, you know? So when you're suffering, we lose sight of the end game. Just like when we're sick, we lose sight of the end game. So what Paul's talking about here is the hope of glory. He said that in verse 27. I believe it was the second. What do we talk about when we mean the hope of glory? The second coming, right? This is the hope of glory. This is the day that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye. This is the kingdom of Jesus. So Paul's reminding us that time moves slow when we suffer. But time moves even slower in eternity. And so you have to know where you're going. Because eternity is a long time. And here's the cool thing. For the Christian, for the Christian, the temptation is for you, or I should say for the Christian, the suffering is only until the hope of glory. But for the non-Christian, the suffering is not only until the hope of glory, but beyond the hope of glory. Because the non-Christian never experiences the hope of glory. So, those of you who are victims of suffering, and I mean that in the most sincere of ways, you need to understand that your suffering is not your identity, and your suffering is not your eternity. If you are suffering, it is not forever. It isn't. And yet, the temptation is for you to be the center of your universe, like it is when I'm sick, for me. And if you are a victim, what can happen is you want everything to revolve around you. I love you, but hear me out. The temptation when we are suffering is we want everybody to stop what they're doing and think about us. The temptation when we're suffering is that we want them to set aside what they're thinking and feeling and pay attention to what we're thinking and feeling. Have you ever heard this saying? Don't be selfish, says who? The selfish person. (laughs) And here's the surprising truth. The more that you are at the center of your life when you are suffering, the more miserable you become. Not the less miserable. The less empathy that you will have for others when you are at the center. And what Paul's doing here is he's bringing us back to Jesus because there's a hope of glory. Church family, there will be a day 
when the people of God will pick up their walkers and their wheelchairs and their diseases of all kind and throw them away from themselves and run across the meadow and climb trees to the glory of God. That day is coming. I, one of my favorite people in the church has and always will be our friend who watches from home now largely, Lenny. One day Lenny is going to climb the biggest, tallest tree in heaven and beat me to the top out of gratitude. There's a hope called glory. Don't forget that your suffering is temporary. Don't let it become your identity and don't let it become your eternity. I want to conclude with this story about my, I called her Mama Cox. She uh, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when she was about 14 years of age. And all of her life, she took pills, largely experimental pills. I remember when shark cartilage came out. She started popping shark, shark cartilage. It was hundreds of dollars a pill back then in the 90s trying to get relief from her suffering. And somehow, and somehow, though I know she was arthritic anecdotally, I don't remember her existing as an arthritic because she was always praying and encouraging other people. That is the fundamental memory of my grandmother. Raising money for this church mission or cause, reading her Bible in her chair. She was largely immobile when I would visit. Just jabbering on the phone with other ladies in the church, passing along prayer requests. Do you remember the prayer chains? Sometimes I think we need to bring those back. You'd only have, you wouldn't have multiple numbers for people because we didn't have cell phones. So you'd call the landline and leave a message. And by the time it got through eight or ten people, a week had passed because <laughs> people only check the messages once a day. So pray for so-and-so. She's having a baby. By the time Sister Susie gets it, she's home from the hospital. But this was the way prayer chains work. She would be on that prayer chain. I just want to remind you, don't let your suffering become your identity. And don't let your suffering become your eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would bless us today. Lord, 
this is not in any way rightly somebody could say, but pastor, you haven't walked through what I've walked through. And that individual leveling that critique would be exactly right. Yet we see through the story of the Apostle Paul that it is possible to worship while we suffer. Lord, those of us who are younger have no clue what this life may bring. Lord, there are foreseen events and there are unforeseen events. I pray, Lord, that we would learn to love you in such a way that we don't respond with the why question, but with the how question and with the who question. How might I use this, Lord, to glorify you? And who might benefit from my encouragement and my story of suffering? In Jesus' name, amen.